John read a, a really familiar psalm, right? Psalm 121 is one we've probably heard a lot. And, and it starts with, I look up, you know, I look up to the hills and where does my help come from? And uh, I think for most of us, when we read that, we, we think of the hills as being a source of inspiration. You know, we, we look at that, we're like, oh, I look up in the hills like we're in Colorado and it's beautiful. And, and where's my help come from? My help comes from this God who's built the hills and who's strong over creation. I, and I'm not sure that's what the psalmist had in mind. See, the psalmist is, is on a journey. And when he looks up into the hills, he recognizes he's vulnerable. The hills represent danger. The hills don't represent inspiration. The hills represent ambush. The hills represent those who are in high places. As he's trying to make his way, he looks up the hills, he's like, hey, I'm vulnerable. When, when I look up in those hills, I see the potential for enemies to ambush me, to, who are looking for harm and, and trouble. And so he goes, hey, where's my help going to come from? As I make my way through life, I recognize I'm in vulnerable spots. There's places where people are, are lurking and ready to, to jump out and take advantage of me, rob me, take what I have. And he goes, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from trying to position myself in a more secure place. My help doesn't come from arming myself in a way in which if I am ambushed, I could take care of myself. Ultimately, my help comes from, my help comes from the Lord. And uh, and if there's anything that you gain out of our time together this morning, it may just be that. I I want you to know one of my prayers each week when we gather at Summit, or especially when we kick off, is that the Lord guards us from that sense of routine, right? We kind of gather at Summit, here we go, another semester, Ecclesiastes, right? When when we have that, a little bit of that sense of kind of been there, done that, we're, we're not in a great place. And, uh, and I recognize for some of you, th- this may be your first time to, to walk in, and, and you're walking into a room with several hundred guys at 6.30 in the morning. You may be sitting there kind of going, what is, what is this place? What are we doing? And, and I just want you to know we gather because we believe that there's a God who loves us, who cares for us, who describes himself as a refuge, and is a deliverer in our times of trouble, and who does keep us secure when there are enemies, right? And some of us feel that even this morning, right? We, we feel that vulnerability, that sense of helplessness, and that need for strength. And so we gather, one of the things I love about Summit as opposed to Sunday morning, is Sunday morning I always walk away encouraged, but with Summit what you're able to do is you're able to respond to what it is you hear. You're able to look at other men and go, okay, I, I understood that, or that makes sense, I may agree, but how does that, what's the so what? How does that play out in my life? Help me think through this passage. Help me apply this passage. Remind me of what's true. Because today I'm going to walk out. I'm going to go to work. And it's going to feel like there are those in high places. And I don't know where my help's going to come from. And I don't want to rely upon my own strength. I want to rely upon the Lord. How do I do that? And so no matter where you are, if you've been to summon a hundred times or this is your first time, I'm, I'm sincerely, I thank you for coming. I, I thank you for fighting through the, the urge just to hit snooze and skip it, right, and to come. And, and I, I pray that you're reminded today that we're not just up here, you know, hey, well, let's start with a song, right? Let's, let's have a, you know, a song and a prayer, and then let's kind of get through the obligatory coffee and 
pray with each other and kind of ho-hum, go to work. And I, I, I want to gather with men who are going to look at me and go, hey, every day I need to be reminded that we're in a war. And I want to live for God's purposes. I want to encourage his people. I want to advance his causes because I don't know how much time I have. And there's some guys who are wounded and bleeding and ashamed and don't feel like they should be here. And there are some guys right now who are in a point of great dependence and who recognize their help does come from the Lord. So no matter where you are, right, I'm glad you're here. And, and I just pray that when we sing, we don't sing a familiar song mindlessly thinking about, you know, what we're going to eat for breakfast and what we have to do at 8.30, right? But let's, let's stop. Let's get our minds right and remind ourselves of where our help comes from, all right? It's good to gather with you men, and uh, I'm encouraged just to see a lot of familiar faces, several new faces. My name is Blake Holmes, and uh, I have the privilege of getting to serve on the equipping team here. And uh, we really, we, it's our hope and our prayer um, that uh, you men are encouraged by our time together each week, and, um, and that you recognize that um, our, our strength, it comes from our dependence and reliance upon the Lord. And I, I pray and I mean, that uh, each week as you gather together, you see that our authority that, the, the, that we look to is God's word. And we ask ourselves, hey, what does the Bible have to say about that? And, uh, and it's hard sometimes. And we're in different seasons of life, and, uh, and I realize that it can be a, a real battle. But um, I believe that God wants to work in and through us to bring healing and restoration in our life and also to use us to be uh, ambassadors for Christ out there with those who we're going to get a chance to run into today. And so um, I hope that today is anything but routine for you, but a great encouragement. Well, um, I have four kids, and uh, they're growing up a little bit now. My, my oldest is now in high school, which is a little sobering for me to think about, and uh, and we love to play games. I don't know about y'all, but, but we're a game family with four kids, my wife. You know, when you've got six, uh, it, it can, you can feel the team, right, and go out and play a lot of games. And uh, all of them are pretty competitive now because they're getting older. You know, it used to be really sweet in my home when I would say, hey, let's play a game. And everybody would be real excited. And they'd gather around, and, and they, they're just looking forward to spending time with Dad, right? And so uh, we play board games, we play sports, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it's a lot of games we've played uh, pretty routinely, wiffle ball, uh, you know, horse, basketball. You, you mean, we'll make a game out of whatever it, so that everybody can play. Um, this summer we got into some different board games just because it's hot outside. Ticket to Ride, anybody play Ticket to Ride? All right, not as familiar to you out there. Good game, all right. But, but you know what happens when you, your kids get a little bit older? It goes from this real exciting, sentimental time with dad where they're half paying attention to the game and then, you know, other time kind of just climbing over your back and wanting to wrestle and, and just laughing and enjoying being with you. You, you know what happens? There's this, this transition takes place that when you get out the game, it's, there's a focus. And it always begins with each new game, it begins with a question. What do you think that question is? I mean, if, if I said, hey, guys, we're going to play a game, all right, who's in? What's your first question? Thank you. 
Come on, some of you guys are being really nice. He's being honest. How do you win the game? <laughs> That's what they want to know. And then you know what happens? All four, including mom, focus on dad. It comes more specifically, how do I beat you? Okay? And now that my kids are getting a little older and a little stronger, and there are many of them, wrestling with dad has gotten, a, you know, a little more challenging, okay? And so uh, it's fun. We have fun. But, you know, that's what we all do. Whenever we play a game, we get together. Essentially, the question we ask is, hey, how do we win? Or another way of asking that is, how do you keep score? How do you keep score? What's the objective? It's the way we win this thing. And, and that's the question that I, I just want you to write down and, and, and have at the forefront of your mind all day today. Because my question for you is, how do you keep score? See, it's, it's real easy when you're, you're playing football you know that the object of the game is to score a touchdown. A touchdown's worth how many points? Six. If you get a field goal, that's worth a safety, an extra point, point. You know that. Okay, if, uh, if you're playing golf, the standard is par. It'd be great to have a birdie, one under par, one over par, bogey. We get that. In basketball, every basket's worth two. If you shoot from behind the line, that's worth three. Free throws? Y'all familiar with basketball? (laughs) So that's the game with the round ball, right? It's orange. All right. But when I say this, you know, y'all are kind of like, yeah, Blake, it's three, it's six, it's one, it's par. I got it. Because you all know how to keep score. It's natural. You play the game. You watch the game. You know how to keep score. But, but I'm asking a, a, a different question this morning. When I'm asking you, how do you keep score? I mean, how do you keep score every day? Because you keep score. All of you do. I do. We all keep score. We're not playing football every day. We're not playing basketball. But we're playing. And we're keeping score. How do you keep score? For uh, a lot of us, gang, when we're growing up, if you're a young man, if you're a boy, and I've, I've got a young man growing up in my home as a middle school, and you want to know how he keeps score? He keeps score by his athletic performance. That's how he keeps score. He knows he's winning if he can go into his school on Monday after having played football on Saturday and beaten his buddies, and he can walk in the cafeteria and talk about how his team won. If he does that, he's winning. If... He's still playing against his friends, not other schools. He's still playing against his friends, right? And he knows he's winning if he can go in to school and see his buddy in class who he played against, who he tackled. That's like extra points. 
Hey, I tackled you. You remember that? He keeps score uh, if he's playing more than one sport. He keeps score if he's recognized in front of a, by a coach. He keeps score if his time gets faster when he runs. By how well he does as an athlete. Is he a good athlete? And he recognizes many of his friends are keeping score by how well he performs in football and basketball and baseball. That's how he keeps score. You know what happens, though, as you grow a little older? You stop keeping score just like this. There's another arena in which we keep score as young men. You start hitting puberty. You're getting stronger. And it's not just athletics. So you're dating. Who do you like? What does she think about you? And it gets even more perverse. It gets even more wicked. Have you kissed her? And on and on it goes. We even have an analogy around baseball. The whole idea, did you score with her? Did you win with her? And so from a young man's point of view, boys grow up keeping score. Hey, I'm winning in the game of life, if you will, if I'm faster, bigger, and stronger than you. I'm winning if she thinks I'm great. I'm winning if she says yes to this dance. I'm winning. But then we, we got to keep score. We got to keep going. And, and it goes from how well we're performing on the athletic field to whether or not she likes us to how much money we make. Where we live, the car we drive, the education we have, vacations we go on, our zip code, our promotion, our position. We start keeping score. Hey, what... What do you do for a living? Well, I, oh, okay, I'm winning. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm losing. Because guys are constantly, what? They're measuring. Hey, do I fit in here? How am I doing? Am I still fast? Does she still like me? Am I making enough money? What do you think about my job? This is where I went to school. See, we, we keep score. We don't like to admit it, but we keep score. And we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes. We're continuing our study. And, it, and if you weren't here last time, that's fine. Okay, because I'm going to summarize all of it for you real quick. And you'll be able to jump in halfway through. But this is what the book of Ecclesiastes is about, okay? It's about a man who wanted to win. And guess what? He was winning in everything. There's a guy, uh, a guy named Joe Ehrman, who, uh, there's a great book, and I encourage you, if you have a son, to pick it up. It's called Seasons of Life. And he, he walks through biblical masculinity. And, and his little alliteration is, he says, hey, look, from the time a child is young, just like I did, he goes, the, 
the way you win is, is on the ball field. And then it's in the bedroom, and then it's in the boardroom. And that's, that's his little alliteration. He just kind of walks you through the seasons of life. And he goes, but what happens is, is now you grow young men into adults, and they're still keeping score in that regard. And Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, according to Scripture, he, by all accounts, he was winning. Because he had it all. And he had it success in, the, in athletic performance, in the bedroom, and in the boardroom. But the problem was, his heart remained empty. And that's what this book's about. How are we keeping score? And is the way we keep score consistent with the way, ultimately, God keeps score? I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think, hey, how do I keep score? How do I know when I'm winning? What are my objectives? What are my values? It's okay to, to say, hey, I want to be successful and I want to get a good education. I, I want to make the most of my gifts. That's all good. That's, that's good and, and wise. I, I hope we do everything with excellence. But if that's where our worth is derived, apart from and rooted from in what God's word has to say, that's a problem. Now I'm going to ask you a harder question. If I were to ask those closest to you, your wife, your coworker, your friends, your community, or even more painful, your kids, hey, how does your dad keep score? How, how does your dad encourage you, son, to keep score? Is he more concerned about how well you did? in football, in basketball, than even you are? If I were to ask your wife, hey, what are the things that drive your husband? How does he keep score? What would she say? Do you, do you even know if the way you keep score is consistent with what the scriptures teach? How do your goals and your values compare with what God's word says? How do you know if you're, if you're winning or if you're playing a game that ultimately, at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter? <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Ecclesiastes, as I said, was written by Solomon, and it's written in his, later in his life. He, he wrote... Uh, the Song of Solomon in his early years, scholars believe. He wrote Proverbs to his son in his middle years. But then he gets to the end of his life, and he's kind of like, hey, man, I, I've been trying to win in all sorts of ways, trying to find meaning in everything that life can provide. And it's, I've got a conclusion. It's all in vain. It's all in vain. Where I thought I was winning, I really have got it about a zero. The purpose is to, is to show the futility of trying to find life apart from God. That's the whole purpose of this game. 
And, and he says, all is vanity. That's how the book starts. All is vanity. Life is vanity. And when you read this book, candidly, you read it, and, and you're just kind of going, and this is a guy who's really in a bad mood. <laughs> he's pessimistic. He's cynical. And it's because he's tried everything. And he's going, hey, I'm looking for something that's going to fill my heart, provide meaning, provide significance, but it's all a mirage. Because I thought if I had it all in money and I went and pursued money and I had all the money in the world, which he did, that that ultimately would fill the hole in my heart. But it didn't. So I sought pleasure. I sought sexual companionship. I sought wisdom and knowledge. I sought material possessions. I sought everything I could. But, he, but his conclusion is, hey, it's all in vain. And you'll see, and you should write this down, because when you read this book, you can't help but run into the word vanity. And it has three meanings throughout the book. One, first meaning is, is the idea of fleeting. That life is fleeting. Life is like a vapor. That what we have for one moment, what's good even, it's gone the next. It's fleeting. It's futile or it's meaningless. Or it's mysterious. There's just questions in life. I just scratch my head and I go, man, it doesn't matter how old I get, no matter how much I look into it. I just don't understand. And that's Solomon's conclusion of what life is like underneath the sun and all of his toil. And you, so you see this theme throughout the book that the vanity of trying to find meaning and purpose of life through intellectual pursuits, work, riches, fame, pleasure, it's all just for naught, apart from God. And so you may ask, so where's the hope in this book? Why are we studying this book? Because this book is as applicable today as it was when he wrote it. Because so many of us are keeping score according to the world's standards and not according to God's standards. And so many of us think we're winning because of where we live, what car we drive, or how great we were in high school. Okay? And God goes, hey, I'm just not impressed. I'm not impressed. You were all district in high school. Guess what? Nobody cares. Right? Back, back then, it really mattered, right? When you won district, and everybody's like, man, we won district. We're district champions. You go to your buddies in your summit group today, and you go, hey, guys, before we start, can I just tell you something? When I was in junior and high school, we won district. Guys are going to go, that's great. I mean, nobody cares. But then, man, everybody cared. Everybody cared. Do you know that promotion you have right now, that raise that you want so bad? It matters. But someday, gang, someday, and I'm just telling you, doing ministry for 20 years, vocational ministry, someday we're going to bury you. And we're going to have your funeral. 
And I've just never heard a son or a daughter or a spouse, a wife get up there and say, do you know what? Not only was my dad a district champion when he was a junior in high school, but do you know in 2015, he got this promotion? It was awesome. I'd never hear that. But you know what I have heard? I've heard sons and daughters and spouses look at me and go, you know, I just wasn't as close to my dad as I wish I was. I wish I'd had that conversation with my dad. I mean, I loved my dad. But, and then fill in the blank. I recently was called to a, uh, the ICU in a local hospital. And the grieving relative um, said to me, hey, he wasn't a very religious man. Could you go share words of scripture with him? And you gotta realize, this is a man who's in a breathing tube. And I see you. And the prayer of his child was, could you just go and read the Bible to him? I mean, you talk about heartbreaking. To walk into ICU, the machines pumping, that's the only thing that's keeping him alive. And I'm introducing myself to a man who I don't even think can hear me. Saying, hey, if you can hear me, I, I, I want you to know something. There's a God in heaven who loves you. See, I don't care how much money he had. I don't, I don't care how great he was in high school or who he dated, or who he slept with. At the end of the day, there's not a lot of points on the board. And so Solomon's charge to us, the whole challenge of this book, gang, is the one that I'm suggesting to you, how you answer the question, how do you keep score? Because the conclusion of the book, where we're going to, don't get lost in the pessimism, the conclusion of the book, after I've pursued everything, after I look back and, I, and I've, I've won the Super Bowl, I have the nice house, the conclusion of everything is, you need to fear God. Because it's not life under the sun that matters, it's life with the sun that matters. That's the whole conclusion. So where's Christ in Ecclesiastes? Well, you're not gonna see the words Jesus, but everything points to him in that God has set eternity in our hearts, Solomon says. There is a void, a God-shaped vacuum. And there's only one thing that fills that, and that's a relationship with Jesus. Only Christ can ultimately provide that joy and that fulfillment. That's why Jesus says, hey, <clears throat> I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. <clears throat> I like this one quote. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes as a warning to those who attempt to find joy without God. In fact, living without God is impossible, for he has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Solomon's purpose of happiness through experience and philosophy remained unattainable without God. Christ did not come into the world to make life bearable for humans. 
He came to provide life more abundantly. Christ remains the one shepherd who is the source of all wisdom. Therefore, every pursuit without Christ is futile. I don't know how you're keeping score, but if it's apart from Christ and apart from a life that's defined with the Son, that in the end, it's a zero. It's a zero. So we gather to remind ourselves to pursue first God's kingdom in his righteousness, to remind ourselves to not buy the lie, if you're here on Sunday, that life is found apart from Christ, to remind ourselves that, yes, be excellent in your work, absolutely, Serve the Lord with all the wisdom and discipline and intellect and everything he's given you. I hope that you guys have more success financially, business-wise than anyone. I just hope you recognize it's not about you. It's about furthering his kingdom purposes. It's about making Christ known through the position and the privileges that you have. It's about life with the Son. Because life under the sun, S-U-N, it's all vain. And there's nothing there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for these men. I thank you, Father, for their willingness to rise early. I know it's early. And uh, I thank you for uh, the chance that we have to be an encouragement to each other today. Would you help us the remaining weeks, Father, to uh, gather with great purpose and focus and clarity that life is found with the S-O-N. And when we try to find life and meaning and joy underneath the S-U-N, that it ends up being hollow. It ends up being like a vapor, meaningless. That There's no purpose. There's no direction in life. It's all vain, as Solomon says. Because we live, we eat, and then we die. So help us to invest in what is eternal. Remind us of what is true and forgive us, Lord, for how easily distracted and consumed with self we can be. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit that dwells within our hearts. Thank you, Father, for other men who encourage us that we wouldn't grow weary or hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Thank you, Father, for your son, Christ, who offers us life and true meaning and true joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.